We're in the book of James. We've been teaching on the book of James for the last six, seven weeks or so. Uh, today we're going to talk from the subject about wisdom from above. So just kind of putting it together from where we have begun in James. Uh, we, we started out with this idea of being joyful in troubles. This idea of what it is to be a believer is a little bit different perspective on life. That we know that even though there may be trouble, that God's at work. Amen. And we may, we, we may have troubles, we may have to, to bear down, we may have to do some things differently, but we do not have to lose our joy because we know God's on the throne and everything is going to be okay. You know that? See, that's the source of joy right there. So we talked about joyful and troubles, we talked about overcoming temptations, uh, we talk, talked about being doers and not just hearers of the word. It's not just enough to sit here and listen or do a podcast or listen to something, uh, a teaching or audio Bible. It's not just enough to listen. The scripture, when it talks about listening, it's always talking about you listen with intent to obey and walk that truth out. So not just hearers, but we're doers of the word. Amen. Amen. And then he talked about the royal law, the royal law, the one that comes down from the king. It's the law of the land that he has put across his entire kingdom. And that royal law is to love your neighbor the way you'd want to be loved. Imagine living in a world like that. It'd be a better place, wouldn't it? And then we talked about dead faith and came to the conclusion that God wants us to make dynamic, have, have dynamic faith. That faith that's alive. It kind of goes with that doing kind of thing. This dynamic faith that God wants us to have. And then last week, we talked about words have power. Words have power. Your words have power. I, I hope we're just kind of monitoring that and asking the Holy Spirit to help us and change our hearts because Jesus did make the connection between the heart and the mouth, didn't he? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? The mouth speaks. So if you got mouth trouble, you got words trouble, you got problems with you, you're talking to people, it's not a word problem, it's a heart problem, right? So we need God to help us because our words matter. They, give, they bring direction, they bring destruction. Uh, they can be a blessing or they can be a curse. So our words matter. Words have power. Today, let's talk about wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. Let's begin in verse 13. Let's read through 18 of James chapter 3. And I won't be long. I'll just go until I get finished. Is that okay? <laughs> verse 13. You ready? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works or her works are done in the meekness of of wisdom. That's an interesting phrase. Meekness of wisdom. Meekness is strength under control. You are to have strength under control when it comes to wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I remember somebody else talking about making peace. He kind of put it different peacemakers, didn't he? You remember somebody talking about that? I believe I've heard that before, huh? I believe it was this guy's big brother. Don't you think? I heard Jesus say that. All right, so now, this idea about wisdom from above. Decisions, decisions, decisions. We got lots of different decisions we have to make, all of them varying degrees of importance in our life. Uh, but the choices that you and I make shape our lives, don't they? Choices are very important. And wisdom is the ability to make the right choice. It's the ability to gather the knowledge and then process the knowledge and then put it to work and put that knowledge to work, that, the power of meekness, that kind of thing. Put that power of wisdom to work so that we make good choices. Now, we, we've been studying in Genesis on Wednesday nights and it's been a, a really interesting study. God sovereignly, when he created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity, God sovereignly made a choice. This was his sovereign choice to give us free will. Now some debate whether that's a good choice or a bad choice because what, what did we do with that free will? Well, we hadn't done so good with it, have we? But God sovereignly, as the king of all, made a decision to give us freedom. We, we say free will, that's kind of a theological term, but freedom. God gave us freedom because freedom is like the natural outflow of love. If you love somebody, you set them free. Uh, free, free, set them free. You know that song? We've got all kinds of songs about freedom and love and all that, that connection there. But freedom goes with love because if you love someone, you want them to be free. You want them to be free to be whatever God has created them to be. 
Because if you manipulate and constrict and do all those kind of things, that's, that's something different than, than that agape love that the Scripture talks to us so much about. So freedom. Freedom. It can be constructive or it can be destructive, but nonetheless, it's a God-given right for every person. You believe that? I mean, it's tied up in the sovereign decision. It's, it's a creative law. God put that into the, the makeup of us as, as human beings. And I promise you, you hold a people down and they will fight to get free. Why? Because it's in us. It's innate. It's, it's part of our, our God-given DNA. It's that image and likeness of God thing that I have to be free. I have to be free. And if you hold me down, there's going to be trouble. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of thing. But let's say this. There's something that's happened in our world today that we have separated freedom from responsibility. See, when God makes us free, that freedom makes us 100% responsible for what we just talked about, those choices. Freedom and responsibility go together. Just because you have the freedom to choose doesn't mean that you will always choose what's best, right or beneficial. Now, Paul instructs us in Galatians 5, before we get into James 3, Galatians 5, 13 and 14 says this about freedom. Listen to this. For you, brothers and sisters, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, a lot of times when you see the word flesh, you could, you could, you know, we think flesh and blood, but that's not what he's, he's talking about. You could, you, you could put the word self right there. That would, that would help you out in a lot of, a lot of places, especially in Paul's writings, where you, you could just put the word self right there with flesh. So let's read that again. For you, brothers and sisters, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for yourself. Don't use it for that. But through love, use your liberty to serve one another. You see the responsibility there? You have liberty. You have freedom. We have a, a amazing freedom in Christ. Paul said this, all things are, 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 are ready for me. All things, I, I, but, but not everything is beneficial or expedient. All things are lawful, but not everything's expedient or beneficial. So he says to use this liberty to serve one another. For all the law, here, here comes that royal law again. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? So freedom comes with, responsibility comes with the idea of freedom. So the more freedom we have, you know, the greatest opportunity you've had as a human being is to be born in the, in the United States of America. You know why? Because it has the principle of freedom. It has the principle of freedom in it. But with that freedom, as an American, comes a huge responsibility. So now, if, when you go, so we start with freedom, but now let's, let's put these other ingredients into it. There's responsibility. There's accountability. There's accountability for our freedom both now. There's certainly an accountability that we're going to have eternally when we stand before God. There's a right and wrong way to use your freedom. You can use your freedom and your strength to oppress. You can use your freedom and strength to, to misguide or mislead. Or you can use your freedom and, and strength to love and serve one another. You see that? When you, when you put this into the freedom equation, uh, the idea of love God. Jesus said it's the most important thing a person can do with their life is to love God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I come into church and we sing three or four songs to God and I lift my hands every now and again? Well, that can be certainly a good expression of love, but that's not really where Jesus' mind is. Jesus' mind is this. When you love God, you learn to do what's best for God. He taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed or honored be your name. You know? What would be best for God in this situation? So my freedom is to be used to say, hey, what, 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 Lord, what would you think would be best in this situation? And then we just saw the love your neighbor thing. What's, what's best for my neighbor? What's best for those around me, my family? What, what's best for them? And when you add to the freedom, the consequences and the fallout of all the choices we make, you find out that you don't just need freedom. You find out and you realize that in addition to freedom, you need wisdom. You understand what I'm talking about? We need wisdom. All right. So now, what we just read in James, let's just kind of pick it apart a little bit. He talks about two possible sources of wisdom. 
Two possible sources. And he kind of puts them on these geographical terms kind of thing. He, he, he says there's a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. Say it with me. There's a wisdom from above and there's a wisdom from below. So notice how he describes it in these, these uh, elevation type terms. You, you can live low or you can live high. You can live on this lower plane that most of humanity lives on or you can live on this higher plane where, that God provides for us. You can live with the inferior or you can choose to live with the superior wisdom that comes from above. You, you see what he's talking about, how, how the wording is right there? All these graphic pictures you begin to see. Begin to see them. See them when you read. Read through these kind of things very slowly and just think about them. Let, let, let your creative imagination be, be inspired by the Holy Spirit to just see this. There, there's a wisdom here and then there's a wisdom that's beneath. So you can live with low thinking. I spent a, a large part of my life living with low thinking. And low living, uh, low thinking produces low living. You know that? I can take you to some of the gutters I used to play in. Take you back to Memphis. It ain't hard to find them gutters over there. Truthfully, not hard anywhere. You, you can live from this low thinking or low living of this world, or you can elevate and rise above and live from a heavenly perspective, live from a godly perspective, and you and I can live our lives not with just the old common day, everyday wisdom, what we may even call common sense. You can live with some God sense. You can live from a perspective. God will literally impart His wisdom to us to live on. I mean your everyday life. I'm not just talking about your just big decisions. We certainly need it for those kind of things. But every day, every day. All right, so let, let's look at this wisdom from below first. James talks about wisdom from below. He uses three words right here to describe it. He uses the word in, in the New King James, worldly, sensual, and demonic. Worldly, sensual, and demonic. So this kind of wisdom is, is influenced by one or more, maybe all three of these particular things, these particular powers. Let's call it that. You know, when he talks about principalities and powers in Ephesians 6, we, we talked about that we prayed for a second ago. Principalities and powers, these, this is the, the idea, this realm. See, there's a worldly wisdom, there's a sensual wisdom, that's kind of your flesh or yourself. And then there's this demonic wisdom. Okay? And you kind of see the progression kind of gets a little worse every time. Uh, th this is the way, worldly wisdom, this is the way most of the world thinks. It's the way a lot of Christians think. Worldly, it's just the way the world operates. It's the way the world thinks. Worldly wisdom. Now, these three words correspond with, with what's written in another place about our threefold enemy. You, you've heard this before. Our threefold enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. You've heard that before? Our, our enemy is, is wrapped up in this threefold cord right here, this unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the, the world's wisdom. The world just has a way of doing things. Is it right? Well, sometimes it is. Most of the time, you know, it's speculative. You have a way. This, this sensual deals with you, your senses. Actually, in the Greek, the, the word, our word psychology comes from this particular word. Okay? You have a way that you think. The scripture says this. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Okay? So worldly wisdom is not. See, the world's just at odds with God. It, it says that very plainly. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God because the world and the, and the kingdom of God are at war with each other. The world now is driven by what, what one writer says, John says this, the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. But that's where he also says that greater is he who's in you than he who is in the world. Right? Because this has a big, huge influence. Now, what we're going to talk about Wednesday night now, we're going to go to the Tower of Bible. And there's a big thing that happens at the Tower of Babel that God does when, when He divides humanity by language. He divides humanity not just by language, but He divides, divides it by spiritual power. We'll talk about some of that coming out of Deuteronomy 32 as well. It's a real interesting thing that happened at the Tower of Babel. And Daniel talks about it. He, he talk, Daniel talks about things like uh, uh, he, he got a word from, from the angel that came to him. Remember the messenger angel that came to him? And said, I've, I've been fighting on your behalf. But the prince of Persia hindered me. You remember that crazy passage right there? The prince of Persia hindered me. 
Well, what's that? Well, that's this prince that's influencing this. You see what I'm talking about? So all this entity tied together, and I'm in the middle trying to figure out which way I want to go. I'm, I'm supposed to bring this soulish part of me into line with God. But without Christ, it's in line with all this. All right. All right. So you, you got that? That's, that's, that's wisdom from below. Now, he, he gives us a list right there. Just, in fact, it's just kind of a word study right here. He gives us a list of, of like four different things that are symptoms of this way of living. This is how to know that, you, that wherever you are, maybe it's an organization, maybe it's, it's a, a family, or maybe it's a, a, a church sometimes like that can be there. If we're operating in the wrong kind of wisdom, these are the things that will be flowing out. There will be envy. He puts the word envy and bitterness together in, in one, of the, one of the phrases right there. There will be envy. What's envy? What's that mean? What's the idea of, of being envious of somebody? What's that? Ah, that's the word we use, isn't it? That's the, that's the idea of jealous. And jealousy leads to bitterness. It leads to all kinds of strife. It leads to all kinds of bickering. It leads to all kinds of insults and, and malice. To where, where you're not just, if, if it goes to its full press, you will not just be envious of that person. You will want their blessing on yourself or at least them not to have it. Mm-hmm. So when you're operating in the wisdom that's from below, one of the fruits that come out of that is envy. And that's never good. That's never good, is it? Then he says this, there's also self-seeking. That when people begin to operate in this low level of wisdom, selfishness rules the day. One, one place he says selfish ambitions. That's the wrong ambitions. You say back to the Tower of Babel, I'm, I'm just kind of got all that study in my mind rolling and rolling. You know what they said about the Tower of Babel? That they wanted to build a tower so that they could make a name for themselves. See what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Wrong ambitions and all that. That self-seeking produces more strife with other people. Because if you get in my way, I will either run you over or, or beat you out. Somehow or another, I will take advantage of however I possibly can. Because it's all about me and my three favorite people or me, myself, and I. And you watch yourself. So this kind of wisdom will lead you into this self-centered living. And in fact, Jesus talks a little bit about this. Well, actually a lot about it. He talks a lot about it. He said, if you're going to come to me and follow me, he said, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. What's he talking about? You're going to have to lay down all of your ambitions. You're going to have to lay down your agendas. That's one thing that's really, really bothered me, especially about the politics. I'm not going to try to make this political, but actually he's kind of making a list right here. And, and, and the way it's used in ancient times, it's talking about politicians and businessmen who are corrupt. This is a description of what they'll do. Now, here, in, in, in the idea of, well, forget all that. We'll get to that in a minute. Confusion. Go to confusion. Another fruit of this idea of living way down here is confusion, disorder. Jesus said that the God of this world is the author of confusion. He, he, don't, he, don't, he don't care what he confuses you about. He don't really even care. Just as long as you walk, walk out confused. He'll even use the Bible to do it if he can. Twist it up. That, that's kind of what he did in the garden. Took God's word and just... Confused them with it, twisted them with it, you know. Chaos. Instability. And the powers that be in governments and, and businesses and all that, they have long known that fear and instability will get them the ability to push people in the way that they want them to go. So that's because that's, that's it's living way down here. It's this wisdom from beneath, below. Now look at this. Wherever this wisdom is in operation, the potential for every evil thing is there. Now that's, that's the proverbial Pandora's box gets opened up. When people start living from this... Now imagine, imagine this. Now why, why, why is the potential for every evil thing there? Why? Who is influencing this wisdom? 
Well, the enemy. And sinful people. So it's no wonder that the potential for every evil thing is there. Because See, see what he's painting a picture. In, in, in the ancient world, they used some of these terms to picture a politician or a business person who would do anything or say anything to gain an advantage. Just make it up as they go. Now imagine living in a world like that. You say, Pastor, you don't have to imagine very long, do you? That's kind of our world, isn't it? No matter what side you're on of the aisle in politics, they will say whatever they can to get power. And I tell you what, if people will say whatever they can say to get power, what in the world will they do with the power when they get it? It ain't right. Oh, boy, said it ain't right. So, so you got this, this wisdom that people operate in. And this is the way the world operates. I mean, in general. Low living. And all this bickering and fussing. My, my goodness. I mean, we'll be glad when this election's over. But unfortunately, election cycles don't end anymore. They used to end when I was growing up. You know what Paul says about all this? All this bickering and fussing and fighting. Whether it happens in a family. Whether it happens in a church. Whether it happens in a society. Whether it happens in Congress or wherever it happens. He says this in Galatians 5.15. Listen to this real, real carefully. If you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. See, the wisdom from below will always cause you to turn on everybody and eat everybody up. And if they're operating on that, we've got quite a fight on our hands, don't we? So that's the wisdom from beneath. On the contrary, he says there's, a, there's another source. There's another option for you to learn to make better choices and to live your life. There's another option. Wisdom from above. Say that with me. Wisdom from above. Okay, so we got this below. Now we, we, we shift gears to above. He says this wisdom, first of all, he's got a list for this one too. It's a little bit longer list. He said the wisdom from above first is pure. Pure. What, what, what comes to mind when you think of the word pure? Innocent. Innocent. That's good. What else? Hmm. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jesus said something about pure. The pure in heart, those are the folks that's going to see God. Now think about that. The pure in heart are going... Because see, again, the... See, the heart is connected to the words. We, we talked about that last week. But the heart is also connected to the way you see things. The way you see the world. And if your heart is pure towards God and towards people, then you can see clearly now. And if you learn to see clearly, guess who you're going to see all around? The pure in heart, they shall see God. You see what I'm talking about? Now, we th think about that, the pure in heart. Well, they're going to die and go to heaven and they'll get to see God. That's true. But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. People, see, purity is, is not just a decision. Purity is like a direction for your life, isn't it? It's like you, you, you choose to make decisions within these parameters and you go into the way of purity. You walk the path of purity. And when you walk the path of purity... The corruption that's on your eyes caused by sin and your own bad choices, that corruption begins to fall away and you begin to see God. Now, how are you going to see God? Well, we, we see him at work over here. I see him working in his life. I see him working in her life. I see him working in my life. I see him working towards my future. I see him working towards healing me. I see him working towards growing me. I can get in the scriptures and I see God. I see him. I see him. All. And that's what Jesus said. You seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first to see where God is working all over the place. But there's something has got to happen in our heart. That, that purity has got to come to us. And how can that happen? Well, God's got to wash us clean. Does that make sense to you? So this, this wisdom is clean. It's, it's truthful without corruption. In other words, this wisdom is peaceable. It's not looking for a fight. It's looking for peace. Now, it's not peace without, you know, a peace at all costs. It's not that kind of peace. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus brings peace 
and, and a whole, I mean, and there's a lot of confrontation in the way he brings peace at times. And it's always with the best interest of people in mind and the best interest of God. But Jesus will fight for peace. But he's not fighting to fight. He's not fighting for some other kind of agenda. That's kind of where my mind was going earlier is that, you know, all these things about agenda. You know, all these things about agenda. You know, whenever you see people from all kinds of places and flying all over to go to a particular place and campaign for this particular person or that particular person, all, all that and the money coming from Europe, coming from all kinds of places, coming all over, all that's about agenda. That's, that's not about loving your neighbor. That's about an agenda. And, and any time a leader gets an agenda rather than a servant's heart, that leader will become corrupt. I promise you. It'll happen. But he says this wisdom has an agenda and that's a, its agenda is peace. It's, it's trying to work out peace. Now strength through peace or peace through strength it's, it's that kind of idea. It's a strong peace. It's not a, it's not a see, so, so much of the time we think about peace is like a compromise. This is peace. See, this, this peace is worked out without compromise because it's worked out from a higher level. And you don't have to make peace with compromise. See, the world doesn't know how to do that. That's why we need wisdom from above. And here is an interesting thing. This wisdom from above is gentle. Hmm. How can you be strong and gentle? Hmm. How can you be strong without being angry? That's important. See, that's, that's wisdom from above now. There needs to be that element of gentleness that's there because it's, it's actually the gentleness that draws people in. You know. So this wisdom is gentle. And he says it's willing to yield. Hmm. Willing to yield. In other words, let's say it like this. It doesn't always have to be in charge. It doesn't always have to get its way. That person doesn't always have to get her way. Hmm. Willing to yield. Huh. And this wisdom from above is full of mercy. Well, don't we need that? It's full of mercy. That, that's, that's, that's one of those character traits of love. Mercy. This wisdom from above is full of mercy. It is full of good fruits. Remember what we just read about the wisdom from below? It says it has the potential of every evil work that's there. This wisdom is full of good fruits. As opposed to this one that's full of some stuff that may be coming that we don't like. And it's not going to be good. It's full of good fruits. So what's fruit? What's fruit? That's what a tree produces, right? So this kind of wisdom will produce good in the world. And good is God's word. You know that? When God made everything seven times in Genesis, we discovered it. Genesis 1, seven times. God said, it is good. Good is God's word. He wants to give us wisdom to produce his goodness in the world. That's that good fruit. And this wisdom is without hypocrisy. Hmm. That word's tough on us, isn't it? Got a teaching I did many years ago, 15, 20 years ago at this point. Good Lord, a long time ago. Called Lord killed the Pharisee in me. Jesus got on to the Pharisees about being a hypocrite. What in the world's a hypocrite? Well, it's somebody that says one thing and does another. Like, right? Well, li- literally, in, in that particular time, the word hypocrite was the word actor. It was, it was when somebody would take a costume or, or maybe a mask that they would have in the Greek plays. They would take a mask and they would put it on their face and they would become somebody else for that particular time and purpose. That's the word there is, is the word hypocrite. It's somebody who's living maybe double life. And you know what? You know what I found? Been, been passing a long time now. Been, been, been saved a long time now. Been alive a long time now. Good Lord. It's, it's getting to be longer and longer. You know what I found out? Everybody's been bitten by the bug of hypocrisy. Everybody. But God wants to teach us to be able to be pure and sincere and not hypocritical just when they're looking. You know. And this kind of wisdom produces the fruit of righteousness. Now see that word righteousness right there? 
It's kind of small. I don't know if you can see that or not. The word righteousness. We don't use that word unless you're talking about the righteous brothers or something like that. Just, just take off all the suffixes of the word righteous. What do you got? Right. The wisdom that God gives us produces what's right in your life and in the life of those around you. That's what we need, isn't it? We need the kind of wisdom, not the kind of wisdom that divides us and puts us at odds with one another and causes all this wrong stuff to come into our existence and come into our societies and to come into our families and to come into our own hearts. We, we don't need that kind of wisdom. We need the kind of wisdom that comes from God that produces what's right. And if it's right, it'll be right for God. It'll be right for you. It'll be right for me. You know what I'm talking about? So question, how do you get wisdom from above? I'm going to take about the next 15 minutes and close. Is that all right? <laughs> this will be my first close. How do you get wisdom from above? How do you get that? So you got, you got two options. You know, to get wisdom from below, you ain't got to do nothing for that. That just kind of comes natural. It's built in that sinful nature ever since sin entered into the world and it began to dominate our lives and our societies and it got pr propagated all throughout human history. All that sinful stuff, all that low living, that all comes natural. In fact, if you don't do anything with your life, that's where you'll end. You'll end low. Because that's natural. But if you're going to live on this wisdom from above, you've got to do something about that. You've got to make some different choices. Now here, here, listen to this. Proverbs 9 and 10. Most of y'all could quote this. The fear of the Lord. Read that with me. Read it with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What in the world? So where does wisdom begin? Now it doesn't end there, but it begins right there. And here's the beginning point of wisdom is to, to fear the Lord. Now, what is to fear the Lord? That means that your life is in right relationship with God, that he is God and you are not. That he is in charge and you are not. That there's such a respect level. I, I like the word respect, the respect of the Lord. That, that kind of helps us a little bit. Now, there is a part of God now. I can't get around it. There is a part of God, and you read these stories in the Old Testament, especially in some of the New Testament. You, you check in with Ananias and Sapphira, and you get this fear of the Lord. You get it on a different level. Because the Bible does say it's a fearful thing. If you're not right with God, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Some, somebody said well, they got some things to say to God when they see it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You keep thinking that. You know what, everybody that come in contact with God, you know what happened to them? I mean, almost exclusively. In the scripture accounts that we have, everybody that saw God, they didn't fall back. They fell face first out. See you later. Like they were dead. Why? Well, because there's something about his majesty and his power and who he is and his radiance and his glory that absolutely just will overwhelm all the human senses we have. So there's that powerful idea, but I think he's playing into the idea of when you put God first and you learn to respect God, that is the beginning point of wisdom to come into your life. You see what I'm talking about? Why is that the beginning point? Well, because he, he has our wisdom. See, this idea of saying wisdom is from above, that's, that's, that's a euphemism of saying that, like wisdom is from God. Wisdom comes from him. Wisdom comes from our Heavenly Father. It's the beginning of wisdom. Now, here, here's, the, here's the deal. When you get in right relationship and walk in right relationship with God every day, he begins, he, he, it's the beginning point of wisdom, but then the wisdom begins to flow into every facet and area of your life. See, that's, that's the beginning point, the fear. But then, see, Abraham went from the fear of the Lord to becoming the friend of God. He didn't lose that as the friend of God. But their relationship morphed into something that was a little bit more mature. It's kind of like we do with our kids. We hope this happens with our kids. See, there comes a point in parenting where you've got to put the fear of God in them. And the fear of you in them. Now, this is kind of lost in all this worldly psychobabble we've got to raise our kids now. But my mama didn't read none of them books. Your mama didn't either. 
And they turned out a little bit different product than what's coming out today. <laughs> Lord, this gets you in trouble. All this kind of stuff. But my mama made it. I mean, my mama, I mean, I've been six foot three ever since I was like 12 years old. I mean, I, I, mean, I was a lot skinnier now then than I am now. <laughs> yeah, shut up, boy. <laughs> but, I mean, I was 140 pounds and six foot three. I mean, poop. Just like that. You see me in Little League pictures. I'm taller than all my coaches and everybody else. But, you, you know, if I turn sideways, my daddy said, turn sideways, stick out your tongue, you look like a zipper. That's what my daddy said. <laughs> it just was. But my mama, I was six foot three most of my life. My mama is four foot 11. But she was a giant. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, she might as well have been a giant. And know all kinds of jujitsu and everything else. But my mama knew. And from an early age, she put... Now, I'm not talking about doing this through anger. I'm not talking about doing this through nonsense. I'm not talking about doing this through just violence and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about you as the leader of your home. As daddy and mama. You asserting your authority. And them kids know. They don't mess with you. Now, that's hard because some kids are rough. I mean, I think about my, my little nephew. My little nephew was, now he's 26 years old and got a beautiful family and a baby and all that kind of stuff now. But when he was a kid, he was the kind of kid that his mom and daddy would wear him out. I mean, he'd do stuff and they would just wear him out. And he wouldn't cry not one drop. I mean, he, they would just be, it, it'd be like rough. You'd see it and you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> and then he would, he would get up and he would swell up and he would go outside. I'm talking about as a little guy. He would go outside by the tree. By himself. We, we could see him do it, but he'd do it by himself. And then he would go out to that tree, and then he would cry by himself. He was tougher than a pine knot. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody got kids like that? Just, Lord Jesus, help him. <laughs> but you got, you got to have the, that, that idea, see, and, and what we're hoping. You see, now, we don't want to live our lives. I, I, we got grown kids now. Three grown kids. One of them just got married. Thank you all for helping we're still taking donations to, to re, for that wedding, you know, we, we, for the next 15 years probably. But anyway, anyway, we, we don't want our kids anymore to be afraid of us. We, we're hoping that we have grown into the situation to where the respect factor is there for us and for them and the love factor is there for us. And that now the, the, the relationships turn into not fearful. I better do what mom and daddy says or else. But now it turned into friends. See, that's where God wants to take us. Now, I don't, I don't go back. See, that line's the beginning point. I don't go back beyond that, and me and God are just buddies and chummy, and oh, yeah, everything goes. Mm -mm, it ain't like that. It ain't like that with my daddy. Now, my daddy, I, I, I mean, I'm 52 years old. And today, my daddy's 72. We got him on the 20s. Daddy's 72. Papa, would, he would have been 92 this year, so we were on 20, 20, 20, 20. To this day, if I say something that I shouldn't say, my daddy at 72 years old, I'm at 52. My dad said, boy, you watch yourself. <laughs> Anybody like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, something inside of me goes, yes, sir. <laughs> at 52 years old, I still say yes, sir, to my dad. You know. Hmm. Now, now, he, he, <laughs> never mind. We, we, that's enough of that. Well, one more story. My dad really did put the fear of God, life and death in me, really. I got to be wild. I ain't always been a preacher. Late in my teens, 16, 17, 18, I was wild as a buck deer. I mean, just wild, stupid wild. Ignorant. Preacher's kids, you know. My dad was a preacher, so you know about them preacher's kids. All them stories are true, by the way. <laughs> I, my, my dad... I. I I got to where I was bowing up on him all the time, just trying to, trying to do my thing. And Dad was just bound and determined. And one day I, I, I did some things I shouldn't have done. And I got kind of in my daddy's face. I mean, angry, mad. And my daddy looked at me. He said, son, I brought you in this world, and I will take you out. Now, this is too much for some of y'all. I know some of y'all can't handle it, but that's what my daddy told me. 
And he said, you know that thing that you got inside of you that says, oh, that's my dad. I don't know if I should do this or that. He said, I ain't got that. He said, by the time you get through processing, it's going to be over. But I'm just saying that that, that fear was, is an important, was an important foundation in my life to bring me back to the wisdom that I needed to live by. And, and God can do that too still now today. If you don't do right, He will bring the fear of the Lord back into your life and say, you better straighten yourself up. Some of y'all heard my story about D23. December the 23rd. I was in my truck. I wasn't walking with God the way I needed to. I'd, I'd backslid. I'd gone through a terrible divorce. It was awful. It was a terrible thing that happened in my life. Horrendous thing. It was awful. It was a very dark, just darkest seat. I don't wish it on anybody. And on December the 23rd, I was in my Dodge pickup truck, and a tornado hit it. Spun it around, knocked out all the windows, and I thought I was going to be meeting Jesus. Holding on to my steering wheel, saying, Jesus, 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 mama, mama, mama. Grown man. And the Lord took those circumstances and said, are you ready to get your life back together again? Because I can't take you out of here. Yes, sir. You know what I'm talking about. So we, we don't talk about that kind of stuff anymore. Everybody's playing with God. That's why we're not real smart. Yeah. Y'all okay? Lord, I done burnt some of my time, didn't I? So you got to come into right relationship with God. That's the fear of the Lord. Now here's some other scripture. 1 Corinthians 1.24 says this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So you come into right relationship with Christ... Now, so, so, so I'm understanding the fear of the Lord. Now, I, I come into right relationship with Christ and I realize that He is the wisdom of God. And in Christ, in Him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. That's why when He spoke, people said, what in the world is coming out of His mouth? What is He saying? We've never heard anybody talk like that before. You want to know why? Because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge kept coming out of His mouth. He would look at somebody who may be in a bad situation and wisdom would come out of His mouth. A treasure would be given to them right then. He would get into a massive a crowd of people and He would begin to speak things and and why did the people just listen to him? It was better than gold and silver. Amen. There were treasures coming out of him. Why, why should you get in the scriptures and read the word? There are treasures locked up in there. Hmm. Scripture contains the wisdom from above. Jesus is that wisdom and the scripture contains that truth. It, it contains that kind of wisdom. That's why you need to get in your Bible. Not just so you can get your devotions down and all that kind of thing. Because you're not as smart as you need to be. I'm not as smart as I need to be. I, I need His wisdom. And, I, and it's not just going to come. It doesn't come in your dreams. I, I wish we could. I wish we could just fall asleep and do like that Matrix thing. You know, that guy backed up to that little machine. And they stuck that thing in Neil's head. And the next thing you know, it downloaded everything he needed. That'd be cool as all get out, wouldn't it? That would be nice. It don't come that way, does it? It comes through the scriptures. It comes through that word. Now, listen to what God says about his thoughts. See, the scripture contains his thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, you've heard this. For my thoughts, God's speaking here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as, here's some of our verbiage again. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. So you got a choice. You can keep living low. Or you can download some of his thoughts and begin to live high. See what I'm talking about? All right. You, you get the point. Let, let's, let's go to the next point right here. Ask for it. Ask for it. How, how do you get wisdom from above? Ask God for it. Ask him for it. James has already told us that in James 1.5. We talked about that weeks and weeks ago. If any of you lack wisdom, yeah, that's me. 
Let him or her ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given. Ask. I believe this principle would apply from Jesus. You have not because you ask not. You know what? So ask him. You, you got a decision coming up? Ask God to help you. Ask God to inspire you. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God which is the right. Do, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I stay? Do I hit the gas? Do I hit the brakes? Do I back up? What, what, what am I doing at this end? What, what do I do here, Lord? Ask him. Ask him. And, and James is careful to tell us, no, don't just ask and, and then to go about your business. Ask in faith, believing that the, that the answer is going to come. And when you begin to ask and God begins to, to if we can use the, the modern term, God begins to download his wisdom to us. Then you begin to be able to walk circumspectly. Now, it's a Bible term. You begin to walk circumspectly. Ephesians 5.15 says this. See then that you, you and I as believers, walk circumspectly, not as fools. Don't, 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 be, don't walk like a fool now. But as a wise person. Now, so, so in order for you to walk circumspectly, you're going to have to get God involved. So that's where prayer is, that's where asking is, that's where, where the scriptures are, that's where the, the body of, of Christ is as, as people of God. We're all, we're all in that. We, we've got to get God involved in, in our lives. We've got to get God involved in this decision. We've got to get God involved in our choices so that we can walk circumspectly. Now, what in the world is circumspectly? We, that's not a word that we even use anymore. But, but let's break it apart. You, you'll see it plain as day. Circum. Split that word in half. Circum. What? Any other words we know that start with circum? Ah, circumference, right? So if circumference is, is like, I'm supposed to draw a circle right here, right? Speckly, speck, 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 what's that? Any eye doctors in the house? Spectacles. Those glasses, the eyesight. So he says this, what I want for my people, I want my people to be able to walk with circular vision. You see that? Now what in the world is circular vision? Now this, I go back to my mom again. My mama had this. <laughs> the old saying is, she got eyes in the back of her head. I promise you, I could be sitting right there where, where uh, Don could be sitting right, my mama could be sitting right there where Don is. I'll get it out in a minute. And I'd be on the back row. She'd know I was acting up somehow. I mean, she'd know I was doing something. And she'd just get up and come back there and say, what are you doing? I'm like, Lord, I've been, I had my eyes on, how'd you see me? I can see you, boy. When I'm not there, I'm there. You know, that kind of thing. She had eyes in the back of her head. Now, here, here's the idea. You walk as a fool or foolishly when you have so many blind spots. You know what blind spots are? I mean, we ran over other vehicles in our vehicle because the blind spot, this right there, the mirror didn't cover that spot and there's a blind spot and I didn't see it and something got me. You know, that's a, that's a possibility. He says, I want my people, I want to give you the kind of wisdom from above that causes you to have circular vision where you see all the options, you see all the obstacles, you see all the pitfalls all the way around you, you see everything that's there. I want to give you that kind of wisdom so that when you walk, you don't step in traps, you don't step in holes, you don't sink to the bottom like the rest of the world. That thing does not get you like it got everybody else because God said, I want to give you eyes all around so that you can see everything you need to see to make the best choice as possible. Does that make sense to you? The, my problem is I got two eyes right in front of me. That's all I can see. That's why I have to get God involved if I'm going to see this circular thing. Because I can't see what's behind me. I can't see all the way past. I can see a few feet in front of me, but I can't see into next Monday. I can't see into next year. I can't see circumspectly like that. But God sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He sees all the way left, all the way right, all the way up, all the way down. He sees even the invisible world that you have no ideas around you. 
future. He sees all of that. And he said, if you will just ask me, I will help you see all around you so you don't have to fall into that mess. You understand? So Lord, help us. We've walked around with too many blind spots. I have. And we were seduced by too many things because we couldn't see through it. But God can. You need to get him involved. So how, how, how can you? Wisdom from above, fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of it, right? Jesus is the wisdom of God. Scripture contains the wisdom from above. Ask him for it. Ask him for it. And then he'll give you the ability to see what you can't see. We need that, don't we? Let's ask him to help us. Hi, Lord, we need your help. Lord, do we need it. Forgive us for all the foolish stuff, Lord. Sometimes we even knew better. So, so first we just come to you for your forgiveness. We lived on this low plane and lived on this low level way too long and we've sure eaten some bitter fruit from it. Forgive us for not letting you shepherd us. But Lord, we're, we're, we're trying to be done with all that. So cleanse us from the unrighteousness, Lord, and, and make us pure again. We really do need to see you. We really need to hear your wisdom. We need your input. We're going to die without it. And Jesus, we just declare and we realize by the revelation of your word, but also the revelation of our lives, we realize that you are the wisdom of God to us. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. Help us to follow you more. So, Lord, just download that wisdom from above as we get into your word, as we talk to your people, as we hear teachings and sermons and all of those kind of things. Lord, help it not just be just information, but we need wisdom. Help it to be wisdom to us. Make your word our bread. Strengthen us as your people. 